the latest in agricultural media and some smart conversation. This is the Ag Communicators Network Podcast. Welcome to the Ag Communicators Network Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Navarra. I think the big question we've all been waiting to have answered this year is whether or not we will get to see friends and colleagues at in-person gatherings and conferences. Ag Media Summit Conference Manager Tina Bowling believes that it's absolutely possible to hold in-person events in 2021. In this episode, Tina shares insights into how events may look different than they did before and also offer advice to those organizations getting ready to plan either an in-person, online, or hybrid event. Hi, Tina. Welcome to the Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what we think events might look like in 2021, and we'd like you to join us and um, share your perspective from an association management perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about your company? Uh, Yes. Uh, So um, I'm president of IAM Solutions. Uh, which is the short version of Innovative Association Management Solutions. We all like our acronym, so we, we needed to have one of those. Um, I've been in business uh, in association management since 2001 um, and uh, in business uh, on my own since 2007. We have uh, six national and international organizations that we work with doing a variety of full service management, including conference and event planning. Great. Sounds like you keep busy. Yes. (laughs) Well, and as we all well know now, um, 2020 was the year of canceled events. Um, I'm just curious how many events you were able, any, how many live events you were able to get in before the pandemic began forcing closures. So we had one live event uh, in 2020. It was in January of 2020, early January. And we were uh, two weeks away from another live event when we needed to pivot to a virtual format. Uh, We did try to take that uh, April meeting, uh, postpone it to the fall, uh, like many organizations did, but unfortunately it still didn't didn't work out. And so, you know, heading into 2021, um, we still have a real uncertain look at what the year might hold for um, different types of events. I was curious what you are seeing from um, your perspective and the clients that you're working with. So we did have, uh, or we have had one in-person event this year already. Uh, The same client that was in early January decided to do a hybrid event with an in-person portion. And that was after a lot of um, discussion, membership surveys, getting feedback. It was, um, from a planner's perspective, it was very, very different. And I think also different from an attendee's perspective. Uh, working with the hotel, uh, the venue, um, audiovisual, all of that has changed dramatically. It's interesting, I think, from an attendee perspective, what we're hearing is people really want to have that in-person event again so that they can uh, have those sidebar conversations. Uh, they can network with each other in person. I think people are yearning for that. Um, at the same time, there's the conscious part of health and safety that everyone needs to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that that event looked um, very different. Can you describe to us what that looked like? 
so the so obviously seeing your friends in a in a group setting with masks on the social distancing uh you'll go in one door you'll exit out of another door it you know i I laugh because um, I like to try to find a positive um, in everything. And I, I think if we can, one thing we can hold on from the pandemic from a planning perspective is uh, it's very nice to only have four to six people around a round table <laughs> um, versus the eight to 10. So um, that was very, very unique to have four people. Um, it was interesting to watch how the comfort level of different individuals and how they, they mingled obviously the space. Typically you could fit a lot of people in a small space. Now it's a lot of space and a few people. You know, just on a rough estimate, do you know what percentage of their attendees were in person versus the virtual participants? Oh yes, 30%. 30% were in person. Mm-hmm. And how does that, from a um, budgeting standpoint, how does that impact an event that has to meet like meal requirements and room nights? So we're very fortunate. Um, the high, We were at the Hyatt Regency in uh, Savannah, Georgia. They were great about working with us on uh, waiving our attrition and just asking us that we have two meal functions. They didn't set uh, a food and beverage minimum for those functions, just that we held them. You know, interestingly enough, from a budget perspective, um, it, it turned out very well. With the meal functions, we're used to having receptions um, every evening. You're having breakfast buffets, uh, you know, to keep in line with health and safety protocols and everyone's comfort level. We opted to just serve two lunches. Uh, Lunch service was very different. It's um, it's sort of like a room service tray in some respects. Nothing is preset on tables. You take your own lid off of the the plated meal. Um, So we actually from a cost perspective, we're able to, to make it work nicely. Of course, the audio visual was a little bit more expensive because we were recording sessions for a later virtual portion of the event. But, um, but yeah, we were fortunate. What have been some of the biggest challenges you've had to work through um, in transitioning some of these in-person to virtual events? I think the first obstacle Um, has been contract renegotiation and getting the venues to understand early on um, that there's no way we could we could hold the meeting and working out a mutually beneficial agreement to pivot to a virtual. Then once that uh, obstacle was conquered, I think the next item is just the platforms and what type of platform are you going to use? What kind of tech support do you need? How's the program going to flow? then it's more into the nuts and bolts of the virtual event itself, which for a lot of people, very new experience. Mm -hmm. You make a good point about the platform because there are so many um, platforms out there. Um, You know, what advice can you offer for sorting through all of those and picking the one that's the best fit for your, your group or your meeting? Um, So at one point I did see an Excel sheet um, that I believe was produced by an ASAE member, which is um, American Society of Association Executives. And it had around 50 different platforms. To me, my suggestion would be, there's a lot of legwork that's been done to review these programs and compile some comparison information is find that resource, use that, uh, prioritize what's most important. Um, First, are you limited by budget? 
you know, if you're not, then, then you can obviously take that column off. Um, and then what are the features and functions that you have to have? Do you have to have an exhibit hall? Um, do you wanna have um, live streaming? Do you wanna have it recorded pre presentations? A mixture of both. But pricing, I right off the bat, pricing to me was gonna be the biggest driver of what platform that you, you use. And have you worked with um, several or have you stuck with one across all of your clients? Um, so I have worked with um, two different ones, but one of the nice things we were able to do for several of our clients, um, they tend to use a registration system and several of them already had an app that they were contracted to use. So we were able to take their app and basically turn it into a virtual platform. So there was no in, any additional out-of-pocket expense for a platform. It was just learning how to create workarounds to make that work. So that's definitely a good lesson learned with the investment both time and financially in a, an existing platform. There may be a viable option. Yes, I think that's where communication has been key. Uh, to your vendors. You really just have to reach out and say, how can we make this work? And um, and they're getting much better at, at workarounds for that. Hmm. That's good. Um, you mentioned that you've had one in-person event so far this year. Um, what's the pulse on some of the others? Do you think there'll still be a mix of in-person? Do you think you'll mostly be virtual? Based on recent articles that I have um, I have read, it looks like the trend um, is gonna be Q3 and Q4 for more in-person meetings, but I do think you're gonna see a, a virtual option. And whether that is um, virtual after the fact or a hybrid live stream, um, that means different things to different people. But I think regardless, you're gonna see some sort of virtual format available um, throughout the rest of this year, probably into next year as well, You mentioned if not forever. Oh, if not forever. That's a long time. <laughs> um, you mentioned that, you know, virtual and hybrid means different things to different people. Um, can you maybe offer an example of a couple of different approaches that you've seen be successful? Um, yeah, so um, for instance, MPI, Meeting Professionals International did a hybrid event where they were able to have people in person um, in Texas in the fall, I believe it was in um, November or December of 2020. And then they live streamed several of their events. So it's the tech part of it, um, I, I'm not sure I have the terminology, but basically you're gonna have a camera that's gonna be uh, recording and then live streaming that out over the internet to attendees. Then you have others who have recorded the sessions and brought them back, processed them through editing, and then made them available virtually on demand. Uh, then you've had a mix. I think Zoom has, um, and other platforms like Zoom have made the, the mixture very viable in terms of what you would like to do. So for instance, the January event that was in person also had a virtual format. We split that up over two weeks. So we had the in-person one week, virtual the next week um, for two days and had a mixture of pre-recorded as well as uh, live workshop presentations. And I think keeping in mind that it's two different experiences. So we did have some that attended in person, but because we also had unique and different content on the virtual, they attended both. 
And it was interesting to get their specific feedback on, on what it was like. And it is two different experiences. And in a way, they almost got access to bonus content, um, so to speak, because they were on site and then still had the access to the other recordings. Exactly. That's interesting. With the different events that you work with, um, it sounds like they're in different states. Have you noticed um, some states being more open to in-person or hybrid events versus others? You know, so if somebody's planning an event, are there certain regions they may want to consider over others? At the beginning, there were. I know that there were actually meetings that were um, held in South Dakota because they needed to be in person, and that was a state that was open. I've tried to keep track, and there's different organizations that will do that for you that have an Excel sheet that you can uh, get access to that shows where every state is currently, but it is still a moving target. Seems like some states that were open at one point have now decided that um, they're going to pull that back. A little bit. Um, I think it was post holidays. So it is a moving target. What might be open uh, today may be closed tomorrow. Uh, so it's it's really un, unpredictable. And I'm, I'm sad to say I have not traveled um, since all of this uh, has taken place. Um, but I know that, you know, travel requirements are also varying widely, you know, living in upstate New York, we technically can't go to Vermont without quarantining and whatnot. Um, are you seeing similar are you seeing any issues with folks showing up to attend these in-person or hybrid events? So yes, when we do the survey, some of them will know that they have to quarantine when they get back and that keeps them um, from wanting to travel. We also had some attendees actually in the in-person who said that their, their spouses were asking them to quarantine when they got back. <laughs> so they, they had to agree to, to do that. So I think it it's a unique time where it really boils down to what your personal security is and preferences on traveling. Um, so for instance, we were like, we haven't, I haven't flown either since uh, March of last year. Mo most of the events and places that we've gone have been drivable. So we've opted to do that. Not anything against airlines by any stretch. It's just, that's been convenient. We take a lot of equipment with us. Um, so it just works better. It's also a cost saving for our clients as well. You know, some people are ready to go and will accept the quarantine and others just aren't willing to do that. Some are in areas that are just uh, continuously, it seems like they're at a peak um, in cases. And so they won't, it's, it's just really, um, before we were always, I think, go, go, go. And this is what our, our company, our organization needs and wants. And now we're taking a step back and saying, well, kind of what about me and, and how do I feel about it? So it's mm -hmm. been a, a unique perspective. For sure. That actually, you know, made me think of a, a question for you. Um, I serve on a on the executive committee for the American Horse Publications Board, and we have an annual seminar in May. And so we canceled all together in 2020. We're working on moving our May 2021 to the fall. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, you talk about surveys and the responses can be all over the board because it does all boil down to individual comfort level and um, situation. What advice do you have for kind of sorting through the data to say, you know, because it could come down to a 50-50% split. And then how do you decide, yes, it's worth doing in-person and hybrid or no, we just go all virtual regardless. So one of the questions we recently put in a survey um, pretty much towards the top of the survey, one of the first three questions 
is um, in a perfect world, would you want this to be uh, in person or virtual? And I think at this point, enough people have set through you know, virtual events and can compare them to in-person that they can answer what their preference is. And then you're right, as you go through the survey and you ask about, you know, do you feel comfortable traveling? Would you attend the event? Uh, do you have budget restrictions that prevent you or travel restrictions that prevent you? Those come out kind of 50-50. Um, but when you go back up to the top and you look, it says we would prefer to have this face-to-face. -face. And so to, to one group, that was the tiebreaker in whether or not they stayed with their time frame and went virtual or postponed to later in the year in hopes of having that face-to-face. -face. Um, and the board thought um, this was the best solution because of that sort of tiebreaker question. And then if it comes to September and we do have to do that event virtually um, based on, you know, comfort level of attendees, travel restrictions, the venue, et cetera, then they can say they made that effort, which answers their members' desires. So it's, it is hard. It's not an easy decision to make, even with that data. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, in 2020, a lot of uh, venues were more lenient on letting, letting you out of contracts without paying your deposits and things like that. And, you know, we pick our location two to three years in advance. So we knew we were going to be in Texas this year. We don't have that out. <laughs> you know, we, um, they're open, they're holding a lot of events. It can put a lot of extra strain on a board, especially of a small association, because there's a lot of, not only the health and safety, but also a lot of financial implications around that too. So one thing that um, not all of the groups that we had to transition were easy to negotiate with the hotel. I called it kind of like a cat and mouse game in some respects, because it was just as much a moving target for us as it was for them. And so really the, the back and forth, but what I found key was the communication. Um, and I found that key throughout this entire process. So typically we're so great about um, sending out emails to notify people of different things. One thing we did is made sure that we picked up the phone and called um, all of the hotels or properties we had contracts with and just asked the simple question, you know, what is your stance today? Um, and do you see that changing, you know, and getting a feel for that so that we could take it back to our boards and, and say, this is, this is what we're hearing from the venues that we're scheduled to, to have meetings at. And one of the things we've done going forward um, is really very cautious and not planning out that far ahead. I uh, guess waiting to see the outcome of the pandemic because we're still um, we're still in that pandemic mode at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but I found communication has definitely been the key. Mm. And that it really boils down to that all the way around. You know, the more transparent and more often you're able to communicate about anything, the easy it may not be easy to have the conversation, but at least everybody knows the details yeah. in real time. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, some of those conversations boil down to, um, you know, I, I know you don't, I know you're hurting for cash flow. I know that we have a contract, but at the end of the day, even if you want to try to enforce that, we're, you know, I have small organization that can't afford that cancellation fee. Um, so, you know, you can take the, the publicity that would fall out from that, from pushing that, um, or we can renegotiate and we can both be happy. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of an honesty, you know, communication as well. 
and it's the personal it's not just going back and forth via email i think picking up the phone has has made a big difference too and we so often forget about the phone i mean even though we're tied to our cell phones it's mostly for our email and internet and social media um, that we forget how important the phone is sometimes Exactly. One, uh, one hotel, I picked up the phone and they said, oh, you're not just going to have an, a random attorney somewhere send me a letter <laughs> canceling. And I said, I said, no, I said, that's, that's no, I've received a couple of those from, um, from large sponsoring companies uh, from an unknown attorney with them. And I said, it's, that's not something anyone wants to get. I guess that alone helps you with the relationship with that venue to get them to work with you. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned the sponsorship piece because so many of our events rely on a trade show and an exhibit floor and sponsorships um, to offset costs and also to, to bring in revenue for an association. What have some of your groups um, done to kind of overcome that this year? Have they canceled those altogether or offered virtual exhibit halls? Um, so we've had a mix. We've had some that have had a virtual exhibit hall. We've had some that canceled having an exhibit hall all together uh, and relied primarily on the or solely on the sponsorship side of it. Um, we've had a group that has rolled, offered the ability to roll over to the following year uh, or, or they could cancel. For that particular group, um, I would say 90% uh, or even maybe a little bit higher rolled over. And it's interesting to see now because now that we're planning for that event to be in person, we're not sure based on social distancing if we can open it up to additional sponsors and exhibitors. Mm. So they, they've kind of held that spot and got publicity throughout the year. So they've they've been very happy with with that arrangement, you know. And then it's just what does a exhibit hall look like going forward in terms of, you know, we're used to having eight by ten or ten by ten exhibits you know, kind of boom, boom, boom. Is that going to be the same floor plan with social distancing, one-way aisles? I think that that's, I think people are going to start to look at exhibit halls and just how can we be creative? Mm. Well, and certainly um, one of that pieces of creativity is doing it virtually um, as well. Um, and I've, from friends who have had, who have overseen events to participated, it's kind of all over the board as to whether or not they have been quote unquote successful. Um, what kind of lessons have emerged that you think are maybe helpful for best, best practices in a virtual exhibit hall? I agree. I've heard it kind of all over the place in terms of feedback on virtual exhibit halls because you can obviously track. You get a lot more data with a virtual exhibit hall. You can say, well, so many people went to your, your exhibit space and looked at the content that you had available virtually. Some of them have offered the ability to chat with uh, an exhibiting company representative. That um, it's really hit and miss based on the group. Uh, you'll have some groups that uh, are driven to do that. And then you'll have others that get distracted because it is a kind of a virtual event where, you know, they're working remotely. Do my kids need to be helped or is, you know, this going on or that going on? Um, so while it is my, I guess, opinion <laughs> for what it's worth would be the virtual exhibit halls are a great way for companies to keep their name in front of the attendees and show their support for the group and the organization. I think it's still going to take extra effort on their part to reach out to the attendees to make those direct one-on-one -on -one contacts. 
Mm -hmm. um, but if you think about it and you walk through an exhibit hall, you know, you'll always see people that um, are sitting there still working or, or they're just, you know, standing there waiting for someone to come by. Then you'll see others who are reaching out to people walking by going, oh, you know, that's, this is, you know, whatever it might be. You know, I'm curious, being a participant in different events over the last year, also being on a committee to help plan some of these, I've seen some really innovative ideas of ways to keep people engaged and interacting, networking, I guess, for lack of better um, mm -hmm. phrase when they're online, um, things like dedicated um, private Facebook groups or individual breakout rooms. Um, and I'm just curious what, um, what you've seen as innovative ideas, what's worked, what maybe you wish worked a little better? I've seen a lot. I've seen uh, reception, typical reception times on a program be turned into trivia nights or, you know, bingo. The trivia ones seem to be very popular and can be very fun because you can pull questions. The nice thing about the trivia that I've seen is they've really done some homework on their demographics of their attendees, basically molded the trivia game around those demographics. Um, for instance, age-wise, you're obviously, you know, you're going to throw in some different questions, but to me, that was really nice because then it brings it and makes it more engaging. I've seen uh, cooking classes that have been offered. Uh, so you can see a chef cook, mixology classes with cocktails. It's, um, it's really a time to be creative in what you can come up with. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. You wouldn't necessarily get yeah. to do that at a, at a live event, so that's a neat way to mix it up. Yeah, and you can, you know, do it in the comfort, you know, most of those activities are, are held in the evenings. So you can do those at home and it, it can be kind of fun. For sure. I know um, that we were talking briefly before we started recording today about this saying of if I had a crystal ball or a, a magic ball to predict. Um, and of course, that's not reality. Um, but what would you like to see for this year or um, advice that you can offer others that they may expect to see? as it relates to events in 2021? I think it's definitely possible um, and feasible to do uh, an in-person face-to-face event in 2021. I think it's a matter of communicating with your venue to see what your limitations might be in terms of attendance and layout. I think when you're looking at, at doing the virtual component, I think you just need to find out uh, what your attendees are gonna be most comfortable with and then that will help you uh, along with any budgetary requirements, find the platform that's gonna work best. And I think it's just reach out, reach out to colleagues, uh, to friends, to foes, to whoever it may be, because there's a lot of information out there and you're really not starting from scratch. Uh, there's lots of resources to help guide you through all the decisions that you need, need to have made coming up on events. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, I always like to look at the bright side, I guess, you know, we're now a year in. And so there's been a lot of lessons learned in the last year as well that can be helpful to enhance upon or improve or change altogether. You're right. It's, it's definitely a time to be creative and think outside the box. Um, and the nice thing about it is we can be so critical when we try different things if it doesn't work. But I think everyone understands now <laughs> that that's just the way we have to work in order to stay fresh. And if it doesn't work, it's okay, we tried. So we put that in our lessons learned box. <laughs> we all have <laughs> move on. <laughs> we all have a little more grace this year. <laughs> yes, it's, it's nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Tina, I appreciate you joining me today. I think you've offered some great advice for our listeners as to what they may expect as an attendee um, or things that they want to keep in mind as an event planner themselves. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching how things fold, you know, roll out over the next year and appreciate all of your time. I appreciate you having me and I hope to see several people at Ag Media Summit in Kansas City in July. <laughs> We'll make sure that they get the dates on their calendar. Yes, July 31st through August 4th. (laughs) This has been an Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thanks for listening. And please visit us online at agcomnetwork.com for more great content.